spoiler warning, the following is an in-depth analysis. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before watching this review. My biggest complaint about the first Ultimate Avengers movie was that it was too much origin and not enough of a real story. We watched Nick Fury as he went to each of the heroes trying to put the team together, and while there was some interesting character stuff for some of them on their own, it all pretty much culminated into one big 10 or 15 minute battle sequence at the end against a generic race of invading aliens. It felt more like a setup to a better movie, and I'm so glad they made a sequel because they made that better movie the first one was setting up. Curiously, the structure here is similar to the first, like going around and developing each individual character to set up their becoming Avengers, this movie goes around and looks at each individual member and what they've been doing since that first movie. That might have been a problem, did all these subplots feel somewhat disjointed like they did the first time around, but surprisingly, most of them are cleverly connected to the overarching story, and we've got a much more cohesive piece here. The one new character added to the mix is the Black Panther, and he's like the drummer in a jazz band. His individual story is the glue that holds everything else together. He's the one character who we have to spend time with to get his origin since he wasn't around in the first movie, but that's okay because that exposition drives the plot of the whole film. It feels necessary and holds unexpected surprises throughout the movie that impact the Avengers. This is, I think, what the first movie should have been. Sure, these characters are based on their ultimate counterparts, but they're close enough to the versions in the regular Marvel continuity that had they started in the same places they're at here in the first place, rather than spending a whole movie building a team, I don't think most viewers would have been lost, and I think it would have been an overall better piece. And regardless of how closely related the story here is to the first movie, to the point where a battle scene from that movie provides a huge revelation in the third act of this one, I think enough exposition about that movie is built into this one that anyone with a passing familiarity with these characters could watch this as a standalone film. All of these individual character subplots are so interwoven together, let's take a look at the most important of them to see how they function both structurally and thematically into the film. The closely related themes of this movie are personal sacrifice and home, as in where a character wants to be versus where they are now, and what they have to give up or what they have given up for that place. Home is kind of a relative thing. The old adage is that home is where the heart is, and some people believe that wherever you are that makes you happy, that's home. For Captain America, home is a place in time, which he lost when he was frozen in ice fighting for his country. He's still physically in America, the place he fought for, but he feels that he's lost his home because he can never experience it the way it was decades ago when he fought in World War II. Steve starts out as a very tragic case. He's already made a sacrifice to save what he cared most of about, and that sacrifice was never being able to go back there. I love this version of the character. He seems more real to me than some versions because he doesn't adapt to being displaced in time so quickly. Here, he works as a one-man army, never taking a break and refusing to listen to Nick Fury's orders. He's trying to live life like a machine. He's decided to live only like a soldier with a purpose rather than a man with a personal life, afraid that if he settles down for even a moment, he'll allow himself to feel. He'll care about something again, and he says that as soon as that happens, he thinks it'll be snatched away from him again like it was the first time. A less competent script might have had him coming off as more whiny, but I like that he's made sympathetic by having a reasonable way to claw himself out of this sad state and also by using Black Panther as a parallel for his situation. The villain here, Kaiser, a Nazi soldier who's actually one of the aliens in disguise, fought Captain America back in World War II and has now returned. He tried to take Captain America's world away from him years earlier, and now he's doing the same to T'Challa, attacking Wakanda to steal all of its vibranium. The reason Captain America hasn't been able to move on isn't just because he's afraid of history repeating itself, losing everything in the present he might allow himself to have feelings for, but because he never had closure about his past life. 
Kaiser represents that closure. A man who was part of the great threat he fought against his whole life, coming to wreak havoc on his new one. And once that threat is eliminated, it's somehow easier for him to move forward. Sure, all the good things from the past are gone, but now, so are all the bad ones, and that allows him to see the good things in his future. And so, he gives a romantic relationship with the Black Widow a chance. Now, the Black Panther is in a very similar situation to Captain America's, but at an earlier stage. Captain America has made a sacrifice and lost his home, while T'Challa is on the brink of doing that very thing. And it's really clever that Captain America himself is the reason T'Challa nearly loses everything. By the way, if you know nothing at all about the mythology of Wakanda and the Black Panther, it's all laid out here pretty much the same as it is in the comics, to the best of my understanding. So this is a good place to get that background in a very condensed but well-told way, because it all plays an important role in this story. Wakanda is completely cut off from the outside world, and its most important law is that no outsiders are allowed into the country because of an incident in which an outsider tried to take their precious vibranium, a metal that is indestructible and is, in Wakanda, in its purest state and can be used to make any weapons. And because everything is so completely interwoven in this movie, Kaiser was the man who was allowed in, and vibranium is why these aliens are so strongly armed and hard to fight. That also makes Kaiser a bitter enemy for both Captain America and Black Panther, furthering that parallel. So Black Panther after he becomes king of Wakanda, breaks the rules to seek Captain America's help, but only his advice, as he knows he'll lose his title if he allows any outsiders into Wakanda. But because Cap has such a personal stake in this with Kaiser, he goes to Wakanda and Fury sends the rest of the Avengers with him. T'Challa is reluctant, but agrees to let Cap help, but not the other Avengers. But they're found out and attacked by the other Wakandans, and T'Challa loses his kingship anyway. He nearly sacrifices his home to protect it, just as Captain America did. The difference is, once the Avengers defeat the aliens with T'Challa's help, the Wakandans welcome T'Challa back, realizing that he was right to trust them. And I think that's also part of why Captain America begins to accept his future. He helped the man avoid what he went through. Cap's a reward for his sacrifice is a new life, and it takes helping T'Challa to make him embrace it, while T'Challa's reward for his is his old life back. And then we get a character whose arc is thematically right in the middle of these two, Bruce Banner, a man whose home, represented in this case by a person, Betty Ross, is right in front of him, but unattainable. Captain America's home is completely lost, and the Panther is fighting to keep his. But Bruce is locked in a cage, having lost his, selfishly experimenting on himself with a super soldier serum in an attempt to control the Hulk, and then trying desperately to get his old life back when he made matters much worse. The Hulk may have fought and helped against the aliens, but he caused a lot of damage to the good guys in the process, and he did a lot of untrustworthy things, trying not to rid himself of that monster, but to control it. But though he doesn't live happily ever after, as the others appear to, he's not without redemption. Without Bruce, the Avengers wouldn't have been able to defeat the aliens. Forced by a sadistic scientist to watch footage of the Hulk in action on a loop constantly, Bruce realizes that Gamma can be used against the aliens' vibranium. Whenever the Hulk smashes their technology, he seems to radiate it. So Bruce Banner's creation of the Hulk inadvertently saves the day. If he had never done that horrible experiment, the Avengers wouldn't have had a weapon against the aliens, and they would have won. Though he's the true tragic figure this story, the man who consciously threw away his life for purely selfish reasons, not for the noble ones Cap and Panther had, and can never get that life back, gets one chance to finally be the hero. He has a wonderful death scene where he seems to die a happy man, knowing he finally did something truly good for the betterment of mankind, and then the movie throws all that away by, with really no explanation at all, bringing the Hulk back right at the end. I think his character arc would have been much more satisfying with that death rather than ending it on a note of, and now he's out there somewhere, still with no chance of getting his old life back and having to relive the horror of trying to control the Hulk all over again.
The man finally had his moment of redemption. Give him a break and let him have some peace. I don't know, maybe that's extreme, saying the best thing for Bruce Banner at this point is death, but keeping him around doesn't come off as having a story purpose beyond A, we haven't seen any new footage of the Hulk this movie, and after all, he is on the box, and B, we can't kill any characters off in case we make another movie. I wish the producers of this film had known there definitely wouldn't be any more, because I think this one would have had a much more satisfying conclusion, instead of the several self-sacrifices that all end up okay here, because apparently the good guys just can't die in a superhero movie series that might have more installments. And then Hank Pym's character arc explores this idea even further by getting close to a Hulk-sized problem and pulling back just before he makes a total mess of his life. Sure, he's a jerk and not real likable, but he becomes a little more likable by turning a really irresponsible, stupid choice into a selfless act. He keeps pushing the boundaries of how much his body can take with his experimental suit that makes him giant man, and he won't listen to Janet when she tells him to be more careful. But after she's hurt in Wakanda, he thinks about his own mortality and realizes how serious a situation they're in. He consciously makes the choice to be the kind of person Janet wants to be with, and he does push the stresses of his own body again, but this time it's for the greater good when he goes from huge to tiny all at once in order to help Iron Man out against the aliens. I like that touch a lot because he makes a big stink at the beginning about how he hated being small and he wasn't going back to being Ant-Man again. When he makes the bold move that almost kills him, but of course doesn't, because being noble saves everyone in this movie, he goes from huge to small and then from small to huge again. That seems aptly figurative as well as literal. He was acting like a small man and he allowed himself to become a bigger man. And it hurt a lot too. The one character arc dealing with the self-sacrifice business that doesn't really pay off for me is Thor's. Odin keeps calling down from Asgard, telling him not to interfere with humans and that his place is with the gods, but Thor defies him the whole movie because he cares about what happens to his friends on Earth. As much as these other characters give up or nearly give up for what they love, Thor never seems to be in any real danger of losing anything because of his father. Odin just keeps making it lightning and thunder a lot, but he doesn't really do anything. He might just as well pester Thor by calling his cell phone every five minutes. Thor, if thou dost not leave Midgard at this very instant, I will keep leaving irritating messages on thy voicemail. I also had no idea Thor's hammer could heal people. That seems really convenient. At least three heroes do something they know could get themselves killed in that big fight at the end. And once you know Thor can just plot device any of them out of any injury, he kind of loses any suspense at all after that. Iron Man is the one character who's there mostly for comic relief, and though he has his own brief moment of possible self-sacrifice at the end, he doesn't have much of a character arc. He has a lot of fun things to say, and he gets to show off his War Machine suit, but he's largely put aside to make way for Captain America and Black Panther's subplots. Like in the previous movie, the animation is fantastic. It's very crisp, detailed, and I love the stylized, ultra-realistic lighting. But the most technically impressive thing to me is the editing. The film has tons of quick cuts and interesting angles that don't look easy to pull off in animation. The fast-paced cuts give it a cinematic quality that sets it apart from other animated features and make it credible as an entertainment meant for adults. Even being PG-13, there aren't a lot of glaring swear words just for the sake of the rating, as sometimes happens with these things, and there's some blood here and there, but it doesn't feel out of place. I still think this series would have worked better as an ongoing TV show, but a few years later, I think Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes has really built on what these were doing and surpassed them. Although the one thing I wish that show would take from Ultimate Avengers is the fully realized Samuel L. Jackson-esque Nick Fury. The story is very tight, and I love how effortlessly it weaves individual subplots together, but it's too neatly wrapped up for me at the end, especially with the Hulk. I'm giving Ultimate Avengers 2 a 3 out of 4. 
there was the time that I got in my car and I drove down to the Department of Motor Vehicles and then I renewed my driver's license. Oh, yes. Um, Professor, we're trying to remember things that are interesting. 